Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. We exist as a local church to bring glory to God through lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our vision. That's our purpose statement. That's our objective as a local church. We long to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we yearn for that to happen. We yearn to see transformation take place in the lives of boys and girls and men and women. We are eager to make disciples to the glory of God. But the question is, how, how do we get there? I mean, practically speaking, how, how can we engage in ministry so that we create an environment where real life change happens? That we don't just talk about it. I mean, every church talks about lives being changed or transformed. by the, But how do we create something by the grace of God that actually and really and practically leads to life change. Not just for people who are living in darkness and are transferred into the kingdom of light, but for those who are disciples of Jesus already. Can their lives change even more to the glory of God? So our plan here at the gathering for encouraging life change centers around four primary components, four key words that we've selected that help us remember and describe our pathway to discipleship. This is the way that we sort of structure our ministry so that we're making disciples who make disciples. Not just show up on Sunday morning for a good time, for an hour, sing some songs and pray a prayer and listen to some bobblehead up at the front, you know, talking about Jesus, God, and the Bible. But, but real life change takes place. How, how do we do that? Well, we've centered on these four words, and they're also displayed on the beautiful banners to your right, on the wall. Love, grow, serve, and multiply. Love, grow, serve, and multiply. Say them with me. Love, grow, serve, and multiply. Those are the four key words that help us put our arms and our hearts and our heads around this dynamic mission of discipling boys and girls and men and women for the glory of God. And since we've already covered the first three, love, grow, and serve, in the last three weeks, that only leaves multiply. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Jeff Christofferson, who is the vice president of the North American Mission Board, has said, a church that doesn't multiply becomes a dead-end link in the Great Commission chain. It was like a broken link in the Great Commission chain. So we want to ask ourselves this morning, why is it so essential for disciples to multiply? Well, first of all, it's critical... It's a critical concept because it's an idea that comes from the very heart of God Himself. This is not something that we have thought up or dreamed up. This comes from the very heart of God Himself. We go all the way back to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. 
And we read there that on the sixth day, God created Adam and Eve. And verse 28 says, and God blessed them. And he said to them, like every newly married couple, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. That was his mandate. A creation mandate that he gave to mankind. Be fruitful and multiply. And then again, in Genesis 17, in case we missed it, kind of the bookends of Abram's life. When Abram was now 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. There's that word again. So I think that an extraordinary, exceptional, and marvelous increase in the number of people who follow God and love God is an idea that comes right from the heart of God Himself. You see, it was right there, right in the very beginning. God wanted to increase this this human mass of people that love Him and serve Him. So it's multiplication language that He uses even back in the book of Genesis. And so that's what makes it absolutely essential for us to multiply disciples. Furthermore, it's, it's crucial to multiply because of the Great Commission. Dr. Lin led for, read for us from Matthew chapter 28. It, it's the Great Commission of God for us to multiply. Jesus said, and these were some of His last words on the planet, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a good prelude. You know, somebody says to you, I have been given all authority on heaven and earth. All authority over your life and your family. I've got the authority. You're going to sit up and listen, I think. And that that was his attention getting sentence with the disciples. Oh, by the way, fellas, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. And make disciples. That was the great commission. How do you make disciples? By going and by baptizing and by teaching. This is multiplication language right here. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach, be fruitful and multiply. Walk before me that I may multiply you greatly. So the last command that Jesus gave really is our first concern. His last command is our first concern. We are primarily concerned about making disciples here at the gathering. That's what this is all about. You can tell that it's not about the surroundings. It's not about pure comfort. It's not about moving lights and smoke machines. It's not about that. It's about making disciples for Jesus Christ by His grace and for His glory. But how? How do we do that? How can we go about making or multiplying disciples? And I think if if you have stumbled into any Christian bookstore or spent any time Uh, Googling the word discipleship on the internet, you will have discovered already that there there are 
hundreds if not thousands of discipleship plans out there. I mean, you can buy them lock, stock, and barrel, you know, just lay your hands on the television and send a check, and they'll send you something about discipleship. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just out there. It's everywhere. All, everybody's got a plan. So uh, we, we've just said, you know, we, we, we need to know what God wants for us. We need to know what God wants for the gathering. How do we make disciples here? Do we go with this plan or that plan, plan A, plan Z? What, where do we land? Well, initially, we believe initially that we, we can multiply disciples through personal evangelism. Now, there's a novel idea. It is clearly the will of God that we be involved in witnessing and sharing our faith in Jesus. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus promised power when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So starting at home, this evangelism strategy ought to ripple out to the ends of the earth. Even Sarnia Lambton. Even Sarnia. So, so we need to engage in this. We need to learn how to engage other people. Sowing the threads of the gospel into everyday conversation with people. People that you know and people you don't know. You know, standing in the supermarket and looking at the price of organic bananas the other day. Lady beside me says, oh man, look at the price of these bananas. She said, nothing is free these days. Ka-ching. <laughs> Actually, there is. In fact, I said the most important thing in life is free. She said, what's that? I said, the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that he brings is free. That was it. Have a nice day. I walked <laughs> Personal evangelism. We also here at, at the gathering seek to make disciples through corporate worship. We're strong believers in simple worship and corporate prayer and strong teaching. You, you've, you've almost heard that this morning from other people. And we believe the corporate worship experience is so important. It's so important. Because Jesus said, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking. Oh my goodness. He's looking for people who will worship Him in spirit and truth. Gives me goosebumps to think that God's eyes are going to and fro throughout all the earth, looking for people whose hearts are committed to Him and who will worship Him. They'll bow down and worship Him regardless of the price or the cost. I was just rereading a great book this week by our friend and brother David Platt, a book called Follow Me. If you haven't read that book yet, I, I encourage you to sell your bed and buy it. It's a powerful book, and he tells several stories in there about, about taking the gospel into, into uh, territory that's held by our cousins, and uh, they, they're, you know, they're not open to the gospel, they're not willing to listen to the gospel, and yet God is planting churches 
in the Muslim world today. And looking at some of those cultures where he says, you know, when, when these people come to faith in Jesus Christ and decide to be baptized, they're taking their own life into their hands. And on one occasion he said to them publicly, now do you two men understand that you may very well be killed for your faith in Jesus Christ? And they said, but Jesus died for us. How could we do any less? So there's a price to be paid sometimes for following Jesus. And when we gather for corporate worship on Sunday mornings, we enter into another disciple-making opportunity where we worship God together as a church family. But let's never forget that this experience is shared by brothers and sisters all around the world. All around the world, men and women today are gathering together in the name of Jesus, some at the threat of their own lives. Some who've been ostracized from their own families because they follow Jesus. Are we willing to pay the price that it will take to follow Him? I mean, we, we really don't know what sacrifice is. We haven't, we haven't been faced with that yet. But there may come a day. And so when we gather for corporate worship on Sunday mornings, we really believe that this is a discipleship-making opportunity for us. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, when you come together, not if, but when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. You bring your talents and your gifts into this corporate setting. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Why? Because God doesn't have plan B. The church is it. God only has the church in His heart. There is not another plan. And so we have to work plan A as hard and as long as we can until Jesus comes again. And it's not perfect. The minute that I walked in the door, the church was an imperfect place. It's not perfect, but it's all that we have. It's all that God has left us, and so we have to work with what we've got. And so at the gathering, we we try to use this corporate worship environment as a disciple-making opportunity to multiply the kingdom, but it will never happen. We will never multiply the kingdom if we rely only on a a Sunday morning meeting. It's just not going to happen. It's not enough. And so we also encourage discipleship to take place on a very personal basis. And there are quite a few individuals in our church who are meeting with other individuals on a regular basis to have Bible study and to pray or to work through a video series together, whatever the case may be. But they are discipling one another on a one-to-one or very, very small group, two or three people meeting together for discipleship. And earlier this week, I read in chapter 18 of the book of Acts, about this man named Apollos, who was a very eloquent man and trained in the Scriptures, competent in the Scriptures, one translation says. However, when this married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, heard him teaching, they realized that there was still something missing from his teaching. And so, very discreetly, very honorably and respectfully, they took him aside, it says, and provided additional care and teaching. That's the kind of personal discipleship that often takes place here in our church. Either on a formal basis or even on a 
kind of spontaneous, um, as the need arises basis. We're trying to disciple people on a personal basis. In this case, it was a husband and wife team that took this uh, very competent individual aside and just said, hey, you know, we, we noticed, and, and they provided some more counsel and some more teaching. Personal uh, ministry, discipleship ministry. We also seek to multiply discipleship here through small groups. From Acts chapter 5, we learn that the early church met for corporate worship daily, and then they gathered together for small group ministry house to house. And therefore, starting with the children, the youngest children that come to our kids' gathering, uh, and men and women and boys and girls of all ages at the gathering are meeting together in small groups for discipleship, men's groups and women's groups and groups of students. Uh, young adults will be starting up again this fall. Precept study groups. Uh, mothers of preschoolers. Second half ministries for seniors. <laughs> it was cute the way Charlene said, 55-ish. You know, we're never really sure how to talk about seniors. You know, 55-ish. But if there's a discount, then come here. Uh, if, I, if I get the seniors discount, I'm, I'm happy to say that I'm through the fifth. Give me the discount. But we've got all kinds of groups, all kinds of ages, meeting for one purpose. Life change. Transformation. I can't begin to tell you the number of times we have prayed for the little ones that go into our kids' gathering rooms on Sunday morning. We pray for them. The group that meets up here at 10 o'clock or 10 to 10 for prayer every Sunday prays for the children as they go. Not that just that they would be behave and that they would be respectful and quiet when they're supposed to be quiet, but that the gospel that rings in their ears will permeate their hearts because sweet little Bobby and sweet little Lucy are sinners and they need to be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't you agree? Yes. And so we pray for them. From, from the youngest and the smallest small groups in our church to the oldest, we believe that God meets us and transforms our lives best in small groups. Life change happens best in small groups. In an audience this large, you can hide a little bit. But it's not, it's not easy to hide in a group of five or six or eight or ten. In fact, it's impossible. So what does that life change that we're talking about actually look like for a multiplying disciple? We tried to provide a, a realistic picture or profile of what a loving disciple looks like and what a growing disciple might look like and how a serving disciple might serve. And so now today we want to talk about the profile, the characteristics of a, of a disciple who multiplies. What's the profile? What's the goal? What's the discipleship objective here? Well, I believe that a disciple who is a who's committed to multiplying, is one who seeks strategic opportunities to share their faith story with others. They pursue opportunities to share or explain the plan of salvation with other people. 
That, that's, that motivates them and drives them. They make disciples who make disciples. Who make disciples. Keeps the process going. They, they are people who help others help others. Multiplying disciples also reproduce small groups that reproduce. And multiplying disciples are men and women who assist in, in planting churches that plant churches. Six simple objectives. Any of those catch your eye? Any of those grab your heart? Something to pray about, for sure. But that's the goal. That's the objective overall. That's the big picture that we will try to paint in the years ahead for the gathering and the churches that the gathering plants. We want to make disciples who are multiplying disciples. That's kind of what we'll be aiming at. Pastor Phil and the rest of the team have also been working on a family ministry plan that incorporates some of these very ideas and we're going to be rolling that out in the next few weeks. And finally, by the grace of God, we'd also like to multiply the number of gospel-centered, spirit-led, mission-focused local churches in Windsor, Essex, and beyond. Every now and again, someone will ask, where in the Bible are we commanded to plant churches? <laughs> well, pretty much the whole New Testament. Uh, if it's not directly taught, it's, it's certainly implied and, and patterned and modeled there in the New Testament. We can look at some sample verses like Acts chapter 6 and verse 7 where it says the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. There it is again, that word multiply. And a great many of the priests even became obedient to the faith. Woohoo! Even the priests were coming to the faith. And then again in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, this wasn't a Jerusalem only uh, kind of thing. It was starting to spread. It was, it was, the ripple effect was happening in all Judea, Galilee and Samaria. They had peace and the church was being built up. And then walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Well, certainly one of, the, one of the key things that moved Christianity from just being this fringe kind of cultic uh, Roman era organization to a dominant force in society in less than three centuries was this eagerness and this appetite for multiplication. It was one of the driving forces of the early church to multiply, to reproduce themselves, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, to plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. Clearly, the biblical record illustrates a church that's eager to multiply. So that leads us to a very big question. 
is the gathering planning to multiply. If you had a choice between yes and no, what would you pick? Yes, the answer is a resounding yes. A few weeks ago at the end of a service, I mentioned the fact that right from the very beginning, from the, from the earliest days of the gathering, I think even before we got our, our charitable status number from the Canadian Revenue Agency, <laughs> we were talking about church planting. Like from day one, we said, you know, hey, wouldn't it be a great thing if the, whatever God does here could be reproduced? It, we, we could be a church that plants churches. I mean, we're part of this crazy network of church planners that are willing to pay the price, whatever the price is, to plant churches. And they're just a little bit motivating for us to be part of that, that network. And Dr. Tony is, is part of that. He knows what I'm talking about. But for many months, we've been talking with and praying with Cecil and Jane Cogswell, uh, who live in Sarnia. The Cogswells planted a church in the greater Toronto area many years ago and pastored that church faithfully for many, many years and recently transitioned up to Sarnia, Ontario. And we've been talking with them about planting a church there in Sarnia. Cecil and Jane were assessed by our church planting network, and they were approved as church planters with the North American Mission Board, which is the same agency, folks, that helped us get started in the first place. And so the gathering, Windsor, will actually serve as the sending church for the new work in Sarnia-Lampton which will be called the Bridge Gathering. So right now I'm going to ask uh, Cecil and Jane to come and stand in front of our stage, if you would please, and, and face our congregation. First and foremost, Father, we pray this morning that your servants will be kept fresh and renewed in the riches of your great grace. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we pray that the gospel will be powerfully at work in their hearts, witnessing to their sonship, granting them unprecedented awareness of your presence and kindness, revealing the beauty and love of Jesus like never before, granting them joy and wisdom and freedom in the midst of multiple challenges and spiritual assaults. Father, you know these people standing before us. You know them. You know them as Cecil and Jane, and their core team, their committed core team, Wayne and Sharon and Troy and Karen. Lord, we set them all apart this morning for the work of God in Sarnia-Lampton. And we pray that you would raise up a church, you'd raise up a gospel-centered, spirit-led, <clears throat> mission-focused church. You're a great and awesome God, holy, righteous, loving, true, you are God over all the nations and over all of Sarnia and Lambton, all of, over all of Port Huron and all of Michigan. You're over Windsor and Essex and Amherstburg and Leamington and Kingsville and Harrow and all of the county. You're over all of our nation. And one day every knee will bow in heaven and earth and call you Lord. So Father, would you please use Cecil and Jane and use their team to spark a fresh work of God. That's our prayer. Please use their training and their passions. Use their natural talents and spiritual gifts. Lord, use the lessons learned from their successes and their failures to make a difference for the gospel of Christ. 
Father, oh, would you please grant them enough fruit to keep them encouraged, enough laughter to keep them soft, enough refreshment to keep them from going crazy, enough grace to keep their team from imploding, enough money to keep them from stressing, and a supernatural Holy Spirit endowment of hope to keep them absolutely, unreservedly, unflinchingly convinced that their labors in the Lord will never, ever be in vain? Would you do that, Father? Because we will pray all of this gratefully, thankfully, in the very triumphant and forever tender name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen. God bless you.